0: The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitiesd.com. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. To those who come from Italy, send you greetings. Grace be with all of you. All right, let us pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word. Um, God, we thank you that you are our great shepherd, and we are your sheep, and we can trust you. Lord, I just pray for Randall today as he brings the word. I just pray that your spirit would speak through him and speak to our hearts. In your name we pray. Amen.
1: Amen. Thanks, Brooke. All right. Good morning, everyone. Uh, This is your first time here. My name is Randall. I'm the lead pastor of Grace City. It's great to have you this morning. And uh, you know, one of the joys for me that I get to see every week is is not just people coming to church, but connecting with one another. And I I, want to say this, like, that's the biggest part of being a part of the church. It's not just coming to a service, but connecting with other people. And so uh, I just love seeing that on a Sunday morning. And um, you know, we've been going through, uh, as a church, the book of Hebrews throughout the summer. Um, and we have gone all the way through to the very end. And so um, we have gotten to this place where we are in the last five verses of chapter 13. So we are in Hebrews 13, 20 through 25. And um, I think this this message today for us is, is very relevant as we finish up this book. Because as we have talked about, there's major persecution that the church during the time of this letter uh, was facing. And I think there's, there's many, in many ways, you're gonna face difficulties and challenges as well. So we need this message. And so here's what I've entitled this message today as we look at these verses, it's this. God's peace in the age of anxiety. God's peace in the age of anxiety. As I said, over the summer, we've been studying the book of Hebrews, and we've been looking at the power of the gospel. The power, the, the power of, of The gospel and how it meets us in our challenges and and difficulties and you see that the author wants us to get wants us to get something and it's this that Jesus is greater that Jesus is better that in the midst of your trials in the midst of your difficulties that he is over and, and above those things that you face Now, why does the author continue to write this again and again to the Hebrew audience? Well, this audience he's writing to needs to hear this again and again, uh, just like we need to hear it again and again, because they're being beaten down by trials uh, that they're facing in life. And so the author is pastoring these people and, and telling them, don't give up. Don't give up. You see, the Christian life is a marathon, not a sprint. And he's preparing them on how to face the realities of life with a gospel lens. You know what I mean by that? What he's saying is this. It's a lens where you can see that Jesus understands what we're talking about today, pressures and anxieties. It's not that Jesus sees you from a distance, but he understands it. Even the book of Hebrews tells us that he can relate to the difficulties of life that we face. You see, what, what is it that makes Christianity unique? What is it that makes Christianity different? It's that we have a God who became one of us, who can relate with the struggles that we face on a daily basis. Not a distant God, but one that came and became one of us. And this final passage of Scripture is very relevant today for us because we live in a culture that has been dubbed by W.H. Auden as the Age of Anxiety. And with that, many people are struggling and they want to give up. They want to give up. And so how does the author, and like we said, we're not sure exactly who the author is, but how does the author finish their letter? Well, they finish with A prayer. They finish with a prayer. And so how does this prayer start? Look at verse 20. Now the God of peace. The God of peace. Now let me ask, in this age of anxiety, are you living with the peace of God today? You see, for many of us, tension headaches, heart palpitations, Muscle spasms, digestive problems, ulcers. See, these things have become commonplace in our society today because of stress and anxiety. Not much peace. And I have to admit, as I preach this message, I I have struggled myself personally with stress and anxiety. I remember as a young boy coming to my mom, and it was really the, the first day before elementary school, and I told her, I said, Mom, I'm really having trouble breathing right now. I might have uh, some problems with, with breathing. I, I might need an inhaler or something like that because I can't breathe. She said, Randall, you'll be okay. It's going to be all right. In college, I remember going to the ER and saying, I'm, I'm really having some trouble breathing. You've got to check my breathing and, and, and just check and see how I'm doing right now. And the doctor said, you're going to be okay. The pathways are clear. You're just struggling with stress and anxiety. He says, what's going on in your life? What's coming up? I don't know, some small things. I'm about to graduate from college, about to get married, you know, all those things. (laughs) Just small things. See, and even even in the past couple weeks, my wife has looked over at me and said, Randall, why are you breathing so heavy right now? Right? She doesn't let me get away. She's like, you okay? Everything all right? See, we must admit at times, unhealthy amounts of fear and stress they personally plague us. They plague me. And so why is this text, today's text, so relevant? Because it tangibly addresses our need for the peace of God. The peace of God. And so our text is Hebrews 13, 20 through 25. And, and what can we learn from this final prayer and encouragement from the author? Well, we learned three lessons that uh, help us to live with God's And so I'm gonna give you all three up front if you're taking notes today. And this is all from today's text. And so number one, it's to receive true peace. Two, do God's will. And three, live by grace. One, receive true peace. Two, do God's will. And three, live by grace. And so the first point is to receive true peace. Look at verse 20. It says, now may the God of peace who brought you again from or who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood or by the blood of the eternal covenant. And so how is the author starting? How, how is he pointing us to true peace? Well, this is happening in a few ways. Um, first, it starts by defining True peace. Again, look at verse 20. Now the God of peace. The God of peace. Again, from, uh, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus. The author here describes God as the God of peace. Now this is very important because he's saying that God is the initiator of peace. See, we can read this verse in a couple of ways. We can, we can just say, well, well, God is just this tranquil God who's out there, and so if I just experience this God in some way, he's just gonna give me this peace. Or he's just peaceful. But what this is pointing to, and this is really the context here, is that God is the initiator of peace. Let me explain. If there's peace in this world, it's because of God. And for many of us, we look at at this world and say it's chaotic. See, the author is saying true lasting peace comes from God, not from man. See, what do we naturally think many times? That I'm the initiator of peace, that I need to make peace, that I need to do things to to make peace. But what happens is it lasts for a little while, it doesn't last forever. And so it becomes very chaotic at some point. What this is saying is that God, within his very nature, is a God of peace. And what we need to understand is this, that I need the peace of God because I need to make peace with God, right? That's what we think. We say, well, what do I need to do to make peace with God? But this tells us that God is the one who came up with the idea of making peace with us. You see, we must understand how the Bible talks about us. It tells us that we are naturally enemies of God, but that God came and loved his enemies and has offered the olive branch of peace toward us. You see, what's the peace that you and I need more than anything? It's a peace with the God of the universe. And what this is saying is that the God of the universe reached out the olive branch of peace towards us and initiated that before we did. You see, Romans 5, 8, starting verse 8 says this, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 10 says, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. What this saying is saying is that in our natural state, we're enemies against God. We've rebelled against God. We've chosen against God. There is no peace between us and God if it's just us making peace with God. And so God, within his nature, a God of peace, extended the olive Branch to make peace with us who were his enemies, who rebelled against him. You see, God is a God of peace. To reinforce this in his article written by uh, Eric Raymond entitled, the, God, the peace of, of God, he writes this. He says, The God of peace brings peace through reconciliation. We are most naturally at odds or separated from God. There's something of an, a spiritual war that needs a peace treaty. How does this peace get made? Well, it is the God of peace who makes peace with his warring subjects, his creation. God becomes a man in the person of Jesus Christ to make peace. Is he true peace? It's not this feeling of tranquility that's going to fade or just a relationship that's mended for a little while or just doing a good deed to make myself feel better. Biblical peace is found in a healing relationship. Healing relationship with God initiated by God, the God of the universe, through the person of Jesus Christ. See, this verse calls him, he says, the the great shepherd of the sheep. And, And what this should do is give us this visual that we are these sheep that are... I don't know if you know much about sheep, but sheep are not the smartest animals in the world, right? And so they're wandering into places that they shouldn't be and doing things that they shouldn't be doing, but there's a shepherd to watch over them to get them out of the thicket and to pull them out and, and to, to protect them. And so this visual of God is that he is the God of peace, he's initiated peace with us, who've run from him, who've rebelled from him, but he's also looking after us and, and covering our lives. He's come to bring peace to us people who are naturally living in chaos secondly to experience true peace we must understand the cost of this peace see verse 20 it tells us that it was by the blood of the eternal covenant by the blood of the eternal covenant you see how did God make peace how did he make peace how did He initiate this peace and make it with us it was at great cost to himself. At great cost to himself, God paid so that we could have peace. Now, I have three kids, and, 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 and many times there's, there's not much peace in our household. I, I've tried to make peace. I've tried to say, okay, guys, you need to talk this out. You need to be friends. You need to, you know, just be nice to each other. Just a simple thing, right? Just be nice to each other. Uh, But the thing is that not many times does that work, right? The the motivational speech doesn't work. But what I've told him is this. I said, you know what? Like, for for peace to truly happen between siblings, somebody's going to have to pay the cost for forgiveness. Right? Because if it doesn't happen, because what happens is usually it's, well, my sister pinched me. Or, my brother, he said something mean about me. And usually what they do is they retaliate. And I say, that retaliation isn't going to make peace. But what it's going to take is somebody absorbing the cost to make peace. So, you know what? Somebody's going to have to absorb the cost of that pinch and say, you know what? I forgive you. Somebody's going to have to absorb the cost of that insult and say, even though you've insulted me, I'm going to have to absorb the cost. And why does it talk about the blood of the covenant in this? Right? Because we're talking about peace. It's because God himself had to pay the cost so that we could have peace. He had to absorb the cost onto himself. That's what the cross is. The cross is the ultimate absorption of pain. It's the ultimate absorption of the punishment that we deserved on the cross. There was a great cost to make that happen for peace to happen. And so God himself, at great cost to himself, took that and absorbed that to and paid the the penalty. Thirdly, true peace comes by identifying the relationship. Here's the thing. In verse 20, it, it, it talks about our Lord Jesus. Our Lord Jesus. Now, I got to say something about this because we have to identify the relationship with what this piece is and, and who God is and what He's done to, to, to make this happen. It says, The Lord Jesus. So the, the Greek word is kurios, and it means the owner, one who has control over the person, the master. Now, Within our natural state, within our natural selves, we, we, we like the idea of God being our Savior, but when it comes to Him being our Lord, that's a little different, right? Because when I explain what this word means, and, and hold on, so the one who has control over? Like, like, I like Jesus, but you're, hold on, you're in charge of my life? I don't know if I like that part. What does that mean, you know? Explain this to me. I need to process this a little bit. You see, for many of us, we we want the Savior part, but not the Lord. And the way describes Jesus is Lord. And so if we're to experience peace, we have to understand he's Lord. See, there's no separation with this in the Bible of just Savior and Lord. But we see that Jesus is Savior and Lord. And where does most of the anxiety in our life stem from and the stress come from? Let's be honest. And the belief that I am the owner of my life, I am the master of my life, This is my schedule. This is what I'm doing today. My, 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 everything, right? And what does that lead to? A really chaotic life, doesn't it? When we think that we're in control, when we think that we've got things under wraps, there's not much peace, is there? Because that's where the stress and the anxiety just starts to build Even psychologist Rollo May said this. He says, anxiety is when our very existence is threatened. You know what that means? It's the idea that if if I don't do it, how's it going to happen? If I'm not in control, who's going to be in control? But what we see is that as God describes himself as Lord, he's in control. Not me. And so this is true peace. Peace. You see, Jesus invites us in Matthew 11:28 through30, He says, "Trust me." He says, "Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Who is this verse all about? Jesus says, "Me, I will give you rest. Take my yoke." Learn from me. I am gentle and humble in heart. This is what it looks like to have Jesus as Lord. To have Jesus as Lord. No longer is this about me carrying the weight of the world on my shoulders, but it is about the God of the universe saying I'm big enough to carry those problems. And so whatever it is that you're stressing about right now, I am able to give you peace. But you have to see that there was great, that, that I am the God of peace, that, that when it defines me, but yet there was great cost to get this peace, and yet you have to receive me as your Lord. You have to receive me as your Lord. Receive true peace. Secondly, and that, that, I'm, I'm going to spend a lot on that first one, but then we're going to kind of flow out of that. And so, secondly, it's this uh, do God's will. Verse 21. And so here's what here's what it says. It says, "Equip you." So, basically, God is equipping equip you with everything good that you may do His will, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever, Amen. Do His will. See, see what, what, what does this prayer lead to next? It's for, it starts with God of, the God of peace, but now it gets to the action part. What does the author pray for? He prays for us to be equipped to do God's will. The, the, the word for, um, for equip is the word carartizo, and it means to complete, put in order, to arrange. So like we talked about peace, right? Peace is the absence of chaos, right? You think about creation. There was chaos. God took chaos, made order, created the universe. What does God want to do in your and my life? He wants to equip you to make you complete and to bring into order the chaos that's in your life, in my life. See, this isn't about my will anymore, but this is about God's will. What is God's will for you to put your life in order the way that he sees order to be. And that you will be complete in him. You see, this goes back to the question, who's the Lord of my life? Because it's the, the who, it's the who, uh, Lord, wait. Because it's the Lord who equips in a few ways. And, and, and so here's the ways he equips. It says he's, he's working in us. He's working in us. Now, what do we think a lot of the problem is in our world? We think a lot of our problem in the world is outside of us, right? It's just just those people, those things happening, that's the problems. But what the Bible tells us is that the problem is in us, right? It's not the the chaos out here, but the real problem is in, in here, And so God is working something in you to bring into order the way that he decides to put it into order. See, there's disorder and chaos in my life, in my heart, and things that God has to bring into order that only he can do. So he's working in us. But but also it says there's a pleasing in his sight. Here's what this means. To do his will is to understand that there are going to be things that are going to be pleasing in his sight that might not be pleasing in your sight. Right, there are going to be things that are going to come together that are going to come into your life, and you're like, "Hold on, I didn't, I didn't sign up for that." Right, God, I, I, I was praying for the job promotion. I was praying for um, for this person to work out as as my spouse. It didn't work out. Like, what, what's going on, God? You don't understand what's happening. And so it, it's it's not pleasing in my sight. But what this is about is about being pleasing in. His sight, And there's a through Jesus Christ to whom be the glory forever and ever. How's this gonna happen? It's gonna be not through your strength, not through your ability to do his will, but it's gonna be through Jesus Christ, through his power, through his strength, through he, what he wants to do through you. And it is, you know what is gonna happen? It's not gonna be about your glory or my glory. It's gonna be about God's glory. See, this is to do God's will. And so, Let me ask, is this life about your will or God's will? And could you believe that much of the equipping from God that we receive won't fit into the box that we envisioned for our lives? It won't fit in. See, I didn't ask for that. I didn't think it was going to be like this. But could we believe that God knows more than we do? And he knows what's best, better than we do. When Joni Eareckson Tada was 17 years old, she was paralyzed from the shoulders down after a diving accident. Before the accident, she was a great athlete, but she was also a nominal Christian. After her accident, she pleaded with God to heal her physically. She went to different healing meetings and she said, God, would you heal me? But he never did. And then one day, after struggling for years, she said God radically changed her perspective. She writes, "Physical healing paled in comparison to the unthinkable abuse my transgressions heaped on my Lord." For the last fifty years, in, for the last fifty years, my wheelchair, in my wheelchair, I've been daily dying to myself and rising with Jesus, dying to myself and rising with Jesus, dying to myself and rising with Jesus. My goal is to mortify my fleshly desires, so I might find myself in Christ. God has been answering my prayer, exposing dark things in my heart, things from which I need to be healed. Does God miraculously heal? Sure, he does. But in this broken world, it's still the exception, not the rule. A no answer to my request for a miraculous physical healing has meant purge sin, a love for the lost, increased compassion, strength. Stretched hope, an appetite for grace, an increase of faith, a happy longing for heaven, a desire to serve, a delight in prayer, and a hunger for the, his word. Oh, bless the stern schoolmaster that is my wheelchair. It's all to the praise of deeper healing in Christ. Do you see that this is a life lived out for the glory of God? And it's a life about God's will and not ours. See, it's not always the life we envision, but, but here's the thing. She eventually became the founder of Joni and Friends an organization ministering to the needs of the disabled around the world. Around the world. See, God said, this is the one who I want to use for my glory. And he takes tragedy and turns it into something that he can lift others up with a life equipped to do God's will not her own lastly live by grace live by grace look at verses 22 through 25 it says i appeal to you brothers bear with my word of exhortation for i have written to you briefly you should know that our brother timothy has been released with whom i shall see you if he can, he comes soon Greet all your leaders and all the saints, those who come from Italy, send you greetings. Grace be with, you, with all of you. You see, none of the things mentioned here at the very beginning of this, this part is easy. It's not easy. First, he says, bear with the word, this word of exhortation. You know that there are difficult things to hear in the book of Hebrews. That's why we preach through books of the Bible, it's because we don't want to skip any of the parts that are difficult. We have to hear difficult things. But it's for our encouragement and it's for the better. And so he's telling them, He's like he, he says, you know, bear with, with the things that you've heard. You, I know there's difficult things, but, but you got to bear with it. Trust me, just stick with it. Don't give up. He says, take, also this, that take notice that our brother Timothy has been released. Timothy released from where? Prison. Timothy was in prison for what? Doing God's will. Okay. So so the Christian life is not an easy life. And if we were to to know the difficulties and trials that many of our brothers and sisters around the world go through to be Christians, we would be amazed. We would be in awe. See, take notice that our brother Timothy has been released. And, And many think that this is the Timothy that we have 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy from. He says, if he comes soon, I will see you. This is about patience, difficulty, waiting, trusting that he's gonna come. If if he comes, here's what my schedule looks like. It's not, you know, okay, I'm just gonna make this work and I'm gonna do it on my my own time. No, it's, it's trusting on God's. See, what is their strength to keep going? Verse 25, grace be with you all. What is this grace? It is the unchanging, sin-defeating, never-ending power of God and what He's done to save us. See, for many of us, our lives are held back by what we think we've done and all of our whole hang-ups and and how's this thing going to happen or that thing going to happen, and so I can't move forward in life. My past, my mistakes, I'm unable to do this in the future, me, 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 me. Right, it's all the hang-ups that we believe that's holding us back. But what we see is that Jesus himself says that it is his grace that is sufficient for us. What does grace do? It releases us from the past and what we've done and the future of what we can do and it enters us into the grace of what God has done. My life no longer is defined by me, it's defined by God and what he has done. And so is the freedom to live by grace. Commentator F.F. Bruce says, Christians are Christians by virtue of certain acts of God, which took place at a de- definite time in the past. But these acts have released a dynamic force which will never allow Christians to stick fast to at any point short of that divine rest. Only attachment to the unchanging onward-moving Christ could carry them forward and enable them to face a new order with confidence and power. Do you believe that? Do you believe that you can face tomorrow and the things that are in the future and not be anxious about those because of the grace of God and what he's done? Or are you held back by your fears and anxieties and stresses and saying there's no way possible that anything good can come? Because the way that Christians are called to live is to live by the grace of God. If anything comes that is good, it's because of him. It's to live by grace. It's to live by grace. And so just some quick takeaways. I have three hard questions to ask you today. All right, and here's what they are. The first one is this. Are you filled with God's peace? All right, we've talked about what this peace costs God. And that God was the one who initiated that peace so that it is possible for us to experience it. And so are you right now filled with God's peace? I was reading a blog this week by a a guy named Daniel M. It's entitled, The Most Important Questions When Discerning Your Next Steps. Here's what he says. He says, If there's any increasing measure of strife in your relationship with others, and you seem to be filled with more anxiety than peace and a desire for control than surrender, that perhaps the thing that you are seeking after isn't God's best for your life. However, if you're, you've drawn nearer to the Lord and are filled with a greater measure of peace and surrender and the relationships around you are stronger and healthier, that perhaps God's will has already been accomplished in your life and the result is secondary. What if the process of discernment is more important than the outcome? What if God is more concerned with the person you're becoming than the place you're going or some decision that needs to be made? Could you believe that God is at work inside of you right now to bring peace and and bring those places of disorder into order, his peace? So are you living with God's peace right now? Second question, whose glory are you living for? So we don't want to admit it, but, but much of our anxiety and stress comes from a self-glorifying life, doesn't it? We can try to put a label on it, like this is for God, or uh, many of our problems, but many of our, our problems stem from just being just so self-motivated in life. How am I going to look? What will I get out of this? How will th- this advance my career See, God's glory is much different. It's about dying to self and lifting up God. Jesus says in Luke 9, 23, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. See, what this looks like is a death to myself. This isn't about me. This isn't about my glory. This is about the glory of God of God last question what's the source of your strength what's the source of your strength right because many times what we do is we live our life through our strength and through our ability but what this encourages us to do is it says through Jesus Christ what does that mean you know do we know what that means Have we asked God and said, God, what does it look like for my life to be lived through the power and strength of Jesus Christ? It says to strive all on his energy, not my own. Philippians 4, 6 through 7 really helps us. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. See, where does Paul point us to in this verse? He points us to prayer. You see, in many times, what, 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 what do we say holds us back from prayer? Well, I just don't have time for it. I'm just too busy. But like one of my friends said, he said, once Facebook and social media and all these things were invented, that just basically showed us that we have more time than we think. And that we were exposed, Right? To say that we don't have time to pray, it just it just doesn't work. But many times what, what, what our problem is is this it's self reliance. The reason we don't pray is because of self reliance. I heard one pastor say one time he says, he says, um, our pray, you know, the, 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 the problem that we have isn't with our busyness, it's with our self reliance. That's why we don't pray. And don't you feel that struggle inside of you sometimes where, where it just tells you, like, no, I got it. I, I don't need to pray right now. I, you, you know, like, I'll let God handle the big things. Guys, what, what, what dependence on God looks like is everything. Everything. And what this Philippians verse encourages to, it says, do not be anxious about anything. Why? Because I can come to the God of the universe with my prayers and my requests. And that'll actually listen to what I have to say. And what happens is it says that you will experience an overwhelming peace that surpasses understanding. It won't make sense. It won't make sense to to our, our natural selves, it won't make sense to others. Like, how do you have this peace about you? Well, it's because God is my peace. See, how do we know it's true? How how do we know it's true that that, that God actually listens to my prayers? How do we know that God understands my anxieties and my stresses? How how do we know? We know it's true because of Jesus' sacrifice for us. Because here's the thing. When when Jesus was on the cross 2,000 years ago, he had a prayer. He cried out. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? How's his prayer? And see, it's it's the same thing that many of us shout when we go through difficulties, when we we face stressful moments, and we say, God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you done this? Why have you allowed this? But what we see is that the God of the universe was truly forsaken. That on the cross... He was the one that was forsaken. So so when you and I cry out, we say, God, like, why are you forsaken? Why are you not listening to me? We can know that it's not true. But that he actually hears us. Why? Because the God of the universe was forsaken for you and me. You see, he cried out in prayer, but no answer came. No answer came. He made his request known, but he was given no peace. Why? Because it was Jesus Christ himself who absorbed the pain and the rejection so that you and I can know that we'll be heard and we'll be received. And that's how we can say today, in the midst of an age of anxiety, that God is my peace. Jesus is my peace because he paid every price so that I could truly have it. Will I receive it? Will I receive it? That's the question. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you didn't call us to try and bring our lives into order and and try to make everything work in our lives the way that we want it to be, but you, you truly came and, and died for us so that we can have peace because of what Jesus has paid for us. And so we thank you for the great cost, and we pray, Lord, that we will remember today that you are our peace in the midst of our difficulty. I think it is, but we believe that your ways are higher and your thoughts are higher, and so we put our trust in you today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.